Welcome to the Century Ask It Basket Workshop. My name is Pam. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to tell the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off. To protect our anonymity, no photography or visual recording are allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. An Ask It Basket is being circulated for the question and answer portion of this meeting. This meeting is being taped. If you enjoy this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tape table to order copies of this workshop or any other meeting. They are available on CD or as an electronic download. The format for this meeting is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 25 minutes of questions and answers. The topic for this session is 100 pounds. <laughs> Our first speaker is Grisha. Good morning. I'm Grisha, compulsive overeater. 100 pounder, just like the topic says. <laughs> Passing around pictures, I have photographic evidence and stretch mark evidence and all kinds of things to prove that I'm one of us. <laughs> um, so I'm really honored to be speaking here, and um, it's an important thing. Like you are my people. Um, there is something unique and um, some, you know, unique and sad about being morbidly obese, um, but. What I found in OA is, the, is hope to recover from it and um, one day at a time uh, be freed of the obsession of food and, and you know, morbid obesity. So um, just my experience, strength, and hope, uh, this is just my story. I don't speak for OA, and I hope that something I say um, is helpful. I, um, I like to say... The one prayer that I usually say before I speak is, God, move my lips, because um, I'm not sure what I want to say. I don't, I don't prepare and take notes or anything, so it's kind of just winging it. Um, so my stats, I am 42 years old. Um, I came into OA at 30, and I got abstinent right away. Um, I've been abstinent for 12 years. Um, my top weight was about 320 pounds. When I got toward the top, I didn't, you know, Many of us don't really go running for scales when we get up there. So. Um, I don't know exactly what I weighed when I walked in the doors of OA, but my, you know, I was up and down, but always about 100 pounds overweight, um, give or take 20 or 50 pounds. And for a morbidly obese person, give or take 20 or 50 pounds, it's like, well, it's Saturday, Monday. Um, so um, let's see, what, I, what happened was... Um, well, what it was like, many of you know, it's, um, it's painful to be, a, to be morbidly obese, and it's not healthy, um, but there's, there wasn't much I could do about it. Um, 
without OA. And I grew up in a big family. I'm the number six in the family. And um, my mom and dad were used to shopping for six kids. And as they moved away and out of the house, they continued to shop for six kids. And I just ate for all six of them. And um, I started eating um, when I was preteen and just started gaining weight. And I, so I, I was the fat kid in middle school and, and in high school. And then all through my 20s and 30s, um, I moved. My father died when I was about 18, and I moved out of the house um, right after I graduated from high school. And, um, and I lived in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill, and I lived in a place right between my job and a McDonald's and a Kentucky Fried Chicken and a 7-Eleven and a liquor store. And so I just kind of made that loop all the time. And, um, and in my 20s and 30s, I was self-willed. Well, in my 20s especially, I was self-willed on riot. And... Um, uh, let's see. Over the years, um, going up and down, yo-yo weight, weight loss and weight gain. I had a brother who was um, close to me in age, and the two of us would compete. So we would go to Jenny Craig or Nutrisystems or Weight Watchers. Um, we would do the Atkins diet. We would do the grapefruit diet. We would do the soup diet. We would take speed. We would put on uh, vinyl. We used to put on vinyl sweatsuits in the summer in Washington D.C. and rake leaves. And we would see how, how much weight we could lose over the weekend and, uh, and compete insane, like insanely with that kind of stuff. And what always happened was one of us or both of us at the same time would get what we called the fuck it. And it's like, I'm just, I'm tired of this. It's not working. It's, there's no hope. I'm big boned. Our family's big boned. Um, I'm just going to go back to eating the way I used to. And, um, and so I'd go back and I would gain all the weight back and then some. And, um, and so I guess the way, you know, what that meant was walking around filled with shame and self-hatred and anger um, and physical pain, you know, like just, I worked for, I worked in a consulting firm in Washington, D.C., and we, we did conferences like this. We would put on conferences for, um, for alternative fuels and, and oil company executives, and so I was flying places and being, you know, hanging over the airplane seats and, um, you know, living in Washington, D.C., people come to visit. It's like, oh, we're going to go to the Capitol. And I, I get that feeling all the time where it's like you walk up to a set of steps and you're like, oh, God. And you walk to a plane seat. Oh, God. You get on the bus. Oh, God. You know, you're walking in a crowd. Oh, God. You're standing in line. Oh, God. You're at the, a restaurant about to order and everybody else is in. Oh, God. It's just like this constant, there was always this constant obsession about I am so fat and self-hating, and, um, but yet I couldn't stop eating. And, um, and food really was one of the only comforts that I found in my life. Especially, um, I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous in 1989 at 22 years old. And, um, and so that was... I went, I went to my first AA convention, and the first workshop I went to was called Out of the Bar and Into the Refrigerator. And it was my story. It was like I put down that addiction, and then the only thing left was food and cigarettes, too, which I had eventually gave up. Um, so uh, I was sober and alcoholic anonymous for a long time, but I was eating compulsively that whole time. And if any of you have ever had experience in other 12-step programs, there's always a refreshments bar. And, um, and lots of food being pushed at those things um, to curb the alcoholic craving, I guess. 
Um, so in sobriety and working the 12 steps, I managed to continually gain weight and stay miserable physically um, for years and years. And I moved from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco in 1996. And I really thought this time it was going to be different. Um, I knew that California was like, you know, health and sunshine. And, um, and when, I get to California, when I get to San Francisco, I'm going to exercise every day and it's going to just be a whole new life. And, um, and really what I discovered was I got to San Francisco and I was still here in my body. Um, I was still a compulsive overeater. I discovered uh, the joys of like taquerias and pasta joints and all these things around my neighborhood. And I lived just a block from Safeway. Um, it was open 24 hours, which is, you know, easy access to a binge at any time. And um, so what happened was, um, after years of, at age 30, after years of um, suffering from being obese and the obsession with food, but still being working the 12 steps and still managing to stay crazy around food, um, someone in AA had been in OA and 12-stepped me into the rooms. And so I came to um, my first meeting of OA, and it was the lifeboat meeting in San Francisco, which at the time was a really large meeting, very social meeting, and um, it was overwhelming in a really hopeful and happy way. There were just so many people that were abstinent and um, a lot of 100-pounders who had recovery, and um, I just was blown away and instantly. Um, I went, going to the meeting, before the meeting, I thought, well, I'll go check it out. I had been to a HAL meeting in Virginia, and it freaked me out because it was, you know, I was much younger, everyone was much older, everyone held hands, said things about God, and tried to hand me a food plan, and I was like, mm-mm, it's not going to work. So when I went to my first, to this OA meeting, I thought, this isn't going to work. You know, I know the 12 steps, front, front and back. I've worked the steps a couple of times with a couple of sponsors. I know how they work. I know how the steps work. This isn't going to work. Um, I've tried everything, every diet plan, every strategy, every exercise program, every, you know, everything I could think of, and nothing ever worked. So I didn't think OA would work, but then that first meeting, there was something different, you know, that we hear at OA. You know, it's like people, it's us, it's our tribe, and they're talking about, um, about real recovery. And so what I did was... Uh, I had this one friend who took me to the meeting, and I, um, I really leaned on him, not as a sponsor, but just as a, a friend who knew the ropes. Um, and so I would just start quizzing him on how the 12 steps applied to food. And, um, and he helped me. I just decided, he helped me decide on the food plan right off the bat. And so my first food plan was three meals a day with nothing in between and no sugar. And um, I had no faith whatever that I could manage that. I didn't really think that I had a problem with sugar until I quit eating sugar <laughs> and, re- and started reading labels. And, um, and, but I knew that it was going to be difficult because I was a person who ate from the moment I woke up until the moment I passed out, you know, in a binge. So for me, I had you know, a box of cereal before I left the house. I had bagels when I got to the office. Um, I went out for a snack at Starbucks um, mid-morning. Then I had an enormous lunch. Then I had went out for a snack after lunch. Then I got home and I ate something uh, when I got home from work. Then I would go out to dinner and eat with friends 
go to an AA meeting, meet with friends. Then I would, some, I'd usually drag people to a restaurant to get dessert after the meeting. And then I would go home and eat. Or, you know, like one of my favorite binges was to walk to the 24-hour Safeway and get uh, like a pumpkin pie and a thing of Cool Whip, plop it together and eat it. Um, sorry, I'm going to mention food here. Um, and that was, like, that was a normal day of eating for me. So the idea of just eating three meals was kind of terrifying. Um, and then the sugar thing made it even more terrifying. Um, but I faced my fear and I did it for one meal. And then um, I really, at the beginning, just had one meal at a time. I don't know if I can do this for a day or a week or a month or a year or the rest of my life. So one meal at a time, I would just eat, eat what was, you know, didn't have sugar and was in my boundary. And then, um, and then just not eat until the next meal. And uh, it was difficult at first. And in order to stay on that food plan, I went to a lot of meetings. I started going to lots of OA meetings. I got a sponsor right away. Um, I met her at the Saturday morning writing meeting. And we would go to the writing meeting. I'd write on the steps. I'd write my step work and then meet with her after the meeting and talk and then um, check in with her by phone during the week and go to more meetings and work the steps. And I started doing service at meetings, taking uh, service commitments. I joined San Francisco Intergroup pretty soon after I got abstinent and, um, and did service there and still do. And um, I got sponsees. And I really, I really t- took the program full steam. That was not my story in AA. Um, when, I, when I first got sober, um, I went to lots of meetings, but I didn't do any service. I didn't have a sponsor for four years. I didn't work the steps for four years. And I remember being really crazy for an unnecessarily long amount of time. So <laughs> when I came into OA, I'm like, I don't want to be crazy. I want this to work. And so I really took it um, very seriously and went full steam ahead. And and it started to work. And um, I also just want to mention some practical things that I did to stay abstinent. And um, and my story is, my food plan for me is very important because my food plan determines whether or not I'm abstinent. And I've heard things, different, you know, uh, beliefs about food plan and uh, abstinence and relapse versus slips versus other things. But for me, my food plan is um, has become tighter and tighter over time, more and more clean. And if I go off my food plan, then I'm not abstinent. So I, my food plan is very important to me. So my first food plan was that three meals a day with no sugar. And I was abstinent for about three days. And I remember I was at work and someone came up and put a big hunk of German chocolate cake with a fork jab in it at my desk. And because everyone at work knew that I was like the local garbage disposal. If there was a meeting that ended and there was food left over, if there was a birthday and the whole cake didn't get eaten, just drop it by. And um, I'll take care of it. I'll even come clean the conference room for you if I get to eat the content. And um, so... Here was this piece of cake, and I was only three days abstinent, and um, and I I felt the fuck it, you know. I was like, I don't think I can do this, you know. And um, but I just picked up the phone, and I don't know really why, but I just picked up the phone. And I called the one person I knew in OA, and I said, "There's a piece of cake in my cube," <laughs> and he said, uh, <laughs> he said, "Put me on hold, take it in the kitchen, put it in the trash, squirt dish soap on it, come back and pick up the phone." I followed his directions. Squirted palm olive. I can still see the green-brown mix there. <laughs> and uh, picked up the phone. He said, you're abstinent. Have a nice day. And, um, and that was my first sort of whew, made it. One more meal. Um, one more day abstinent. And then um, one of the slogans that's on the back of the, um, I, I'm not sure if it's on the OA chips, but um, 
on, a, on the AA chips, it says, to thine own self be true. And that's one slogan that I really try to always keep in mind because um, what happened over time in OA, working the steps, sticking to that food plan one meal at a time, one day at a time, working with my sponsor, going to meetings, hearing other people's experience, I just started to get real with myself. And, you know, here I was, a morbidly obese person, and I had been abstinent for a year, and I lost about 25 pounds, which on the days of abstinence, I could lose that in, you know, eight days. And so it took a lot of, I I remember working with my sponsor, like, on slow weight loss and just accepting that, okay, I'm not gaining weight, I'm sticking to my food plan, I'm working the program, my higher power will work this out over time. And um, and so I, anyway, I, I remember being at, again, at the Lifeboat meeting where I did service and I was meeting with a sponsee, or not a sponsee, thank you, um, but with just a newcomer. And I said, this is my food plan. I said, some people don't eat flour. I'm not that kind of person, so, you know, you're welcome to try it, but I'm not going there. And uh, and I went to that meeting, and what do you know, the speaker was a century person who didn't eat flour. And um, to thine own self be true, I was like, well, you know, my three meals a day are mostly flour. <laughs> and they're mostly big, and they're mostly what a normal eater might think is not a healthy choice. So um, I just, I went to the Saturday morning writing meeting. I still look back in that journal, and I see where I wrote, I'm going to try it. Um, I talked to my sponsor about it, and I tried going one meal without flour and grains. And, um, and I don't think I can do it. And if I can't, I'm not breaking my abstinence. This is just a trial run. What the hell? And um, I went to breakfast after the meeting. I met some friends in the Castro at this diner. The waiter came. I said, I'll have an omelet. Um, I can't have potatoes or toast, though. Can I have um, fruit instead? We don't have fruit. Okay, I'll just take potatoes and toast. Thanks. I was like, that quick, fuck it. And, um, but he came back a couple seconds later. He said, we have cottage cheese. Does that count? I think it does. <laughs> At the time, it did. <laughs> so um, so I, I ate one meal without flour and without sugar, without grains, starches, carbs, whatever you want to call it. And, um, and to me, that was just a miracle. And then one meal at a time, I did that. And I've continued to do that. And it's, you know, I've been asking it 12 years from sugar and having three meals a day and then 11 years now um, and coming up on 12 years with, uh, with no flour sugar. So that was important to me because then I got amazing physical recovery. The, the weight fell off. I lost another 100 pounds. It was like, boom. People at work were saying, you need to buy new clothes. You know, I'm like, in the morning before work, I'm with a hammer and a screwdriver banging a new hole in my belt. It's like, tighten it up, you know, instead of banging it the other way, it'll loosen it up. And um, so the physical recovery was really a miracle for me and important. And, um, and then that then became the life of adjusting to being in a normal-sized body, which is bizarre. Mm-hmm. It's joyful, but it's bizarre at first. And it's taken a while to get used to it. And then, you know, becoming, um, becoming a physically um, a sexual person. Uh, I, started, I never dated. I, I think I had two relationships that lasted a year from the time I was um, a teenager to the time I was 30. And then when I got into OA and I got my abstinence, I, I like to say I dated 90 men in 90 days. <laughs> I made up for lost time. And, um, but, you know, it was, it was important to become a whole human being, you know, to like, to get in an airplane seat and not care, to buckle my seatbelt, to get on the train and not care, to walk in a store, any store, anywhere, and buy something. 
I never, there was there were entire 15 to 20 store malls where I couldn't find anything but a pair of socks to fit me when I was morbidly obese. And now I can walk into anywhere and get stuff. I never wore T-shirts. I'm wearing a T-shirt today. I never wore T-shirts because I had big man boobs and, you know, I was enormous. And I hated, you know, I wore really, really loose-fitting stuff so I could hide out. Um, so now I can wear stuff and, and not worry about it, take my shirt off. Some of you who know my story, I, I started running in OA and I ran four complete marathons, which is a complete miracle. You're looking at a 320-pound, three-pack-a-day three smoker, drinker, slob on the couch. Um, I'm a 12-step convert. So um, it was a miracle, and anybody can have that miracle um, if they support the program. Um, so more practical things. Um, I stay abstinent no matter what. That's my little slogan. I always say, like, if I feel like I'm going to have a relapse, I hope somebody will lock me in the trunk of their car for a couple of days or something, <laughs> or till the next meal at least, and um, and not have any food in the trunk. And um, so things that have happened, um, I have – my mom got really sick, um, and I remember one night I, I followed her in an ambulance to the emergency room on Christmas Eve. She was intubated, maybe going to die. Um, all my family had been got really drunk at Christmas Eve and were at their respective homes, couldn't drive to the hospital. So I was by myself with my dying mother, you know, in the middle of the night, all through the night. It became breakfast time. And I thought, well, what do I do? The cafeteria was closed. It was Christmas. Even 7-Eleven was closed. It was Christmas. The grocery, everything was closed. It was Christmas in Maryland. And um, so I went to the snack, the snack bar, and there were all these machines, vending machines. And I thought, well... You know, there's no reason to break my abstinence. And so I spent about 20 bucks buying things. And I took, and I was by myself, luckily, so I didn't look too crazy. I took um, the meat out of the sandwiches and threw away the bread. I took the peaches that were packed in heavy syrup, and I took them into the men's room, and I washed them (laughs) under the sink. I'm like, you know, this is the best I can do in this situation, you know. And so, and I, you know, I bought, like, a celery and cheese and peanut butter pack and threw the peanut butter away. And anyway, the bottom line was I stayed abstinent because... You know, just because my mother was dying and I was in a really crazy situation didn't mean it was okay to throw my abstinence and my recovery away. So I didn't. And um, so I really, that's why I say my food plan is really important to me because it helps. I'm crazy with food, you know. Like, I don't know how many, does anybody have dogs here? Like, you know when you do, when a dog hears a crazy noise and they do their head, like, they turn their head and they make this funny face and it makes you laugh. You know? I was on a two-week road trip with my partner uh, just this, at the beginning of the month and we were somewhere and he, quit eating, and I said, you're going to lose your membership to the Clean Plate Club. And he said, well, I'm full. And I just looked at him like a dog. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Makes no sense to me whatsoever. You know, um, you know, full for me means there's nothing left on the, on the plate, or, you know, there's nowhere to buy some more food. So um, it's really important for me to have these, like, really clear boundaries with my food. And so now my food plan, which if you had told me I would ever eat like this, I would have said you were completely insane. But I eat, uh, I modify the dignity of choice um, food plan, and I eat, with each meal I eat uh, six ounces of protein, and uh, in the morning I have one piece of fruit, one big piece, a few little pieces, depending, and um, I have uh, a pa- up to a pound of vegetables at each meal, and I don't count calories or measure fat or any of that stuff, um, and that's, that's my food plan, and so if I decide that I need an apple at 3 p.m., and I eat it, I'm not abstinent. And I have to have that boundary because otherwise I'll just eat one at three and then I'll just change my mind at six and change my mind at midnight and, you know, it's a slippery slope for me. Um, and 
So, and what life is like today is just really amazing. I mean, I have um, quit my job. I've gone back to school full time. I got my bachelor's degree. I'm back in school getting my teaching credential. Um, I am three years into a really amazing relationship with an, a partner. I, you could never have convinced me ever that I would find a partner. Um, a, because of how crazy I was. B, because of the body shame I have from the ways that I've messed up my body over time. I looked into the plastic surgery and decided I wasn't wealthy enough to do it and had a sponsor who discouraged it. Um, and, you know, but I found all these great things and life is really, um, you know, that's a happy, joyous and free life we were talking about at the beginning. Um, and I still, I still work the steps. I have not graduated. It talks in the 12 step about how, you know, we've, we've gotten physical, emotional, spiritual recovery. We've done service. We've, you know, done all this great stuff. Life has become fabulous but we haven't graduated. So um, I still have a sponsor. I still sponsor. I still am on San Francisco Intergroup. I still do service um, at the Century Meeting in San Francisco. I still go to meetings. Um, I come to conventions. I love the program. Um, I'm lucky that I have a partner who really accepts my participation in the program. And um, it was actually a bumpy road at the beginning because I would take sponsee calls at the most inappropriate times. <laughs> and, um, and at some point I just sat down and sat him down. I said, you know what? I'm a 12-step person. And this is my life. It saved my life. And I can't put, unfortunately, I can't put you first. I mean, you're, I love you the most, but I have to put this program first. Otherwise, I could be back out there and dead. And so could my sponsees if, you know, if they're, if they're, they need to talk to somebody, you know. So, I mean, we put some boundaries around it, of course, but there's compromise. But, for, you know, OA is my life, and it's a great life. And, um, and I just, you know, I just want... I just want everyone who walks in the doors of OA um, to experience even like 2% of the joy and recovery, you know, just to get it, to get 100%, but, you know, um, we're just a good, we're a big family here, and I, I thank all of you for my abstinence and for my recovery, and, um, and I hope that something I said today or something at this convention is just going to, you know, give you the boost you need and, um, and make you have a happy, joyous, and free life. So there. <laughs> Our second speaker is Evelyn. Hello, I'm Evelyn uh, from the San Fernando Valley, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm delighted to be here, and I'm glad to see all you people. And I also want to wish you and away a happy 50th birthday. We are 50 years old, and we're still celebrating it this year, and we will continue to celebrate it all through the year. Um, my story is going to be remarkably like Grisha's story in many ways, um, except that I was uh, an 11, uh, just under 14-pound baby, okay? I was always obese, morbidly obese. When I was 11 years old, I was 100 pounds overweight. I was usually the shortest and the fattest child in my class. Um, and uh, so when I went to high school, there were fatter people. They called them football players. They had better dates. You know, I mean, you know. But I was always obese. Okay. I like food. I, I like it. It comforts me. It washes over me, even after all these years. I have to tell you, I've been coming into OA for 23 years. 
Uh, I've been maintaining a weight loss of 115 pounds for 21 and a half of those years, just about that much time. Um, I, uh, I like food. I, I do. It's, it's like a comforting blanket to me. Um, I, I tried alcohol and it makes me hungry. I did drugs, it makes me hungry. You know, I wake up, I'm hungry. I get happy, I'm hungry. I'm sad, I'm hungry. You know, my first thought, even after all these years, is you really ought to have a cookie. Don't you think you need a cookie? You know, I have, you know, da 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 da. You know, and, but those voices have gone farther and farther away from me. Um, I, my story is, I didn't come into OA till I was 42. Uh, I have, uh, uh, my parents died when I was very young. I was raised in a very awkward situation and passed around through a group of people. And uh, when I was 16 years old, I emancipated myself. I left school when I was in the 10th grade. I was a D student, but I had, some, I had enough smarts that I could emancipate myself and do all my own legal work by using the library. And uh, I went to work, you know, and I was obese. I didn't drive until I came to OA. I, I rode a bicycle. When I came to OA, um, I, I, and I had been briefly married uh, when I was uh, 25 to a rock musician who became fabulously wealthy the day he left me, and 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 I didn't have I didn't have any family. Okay, I am I was my my only the last of my family. All right, and uh, and I have a daughter, but uh, I have no, I had no family. So I ended up being living in the San Fernando Valley in low-income housing. I ended up working uh, two full-time jobs and a part-time job. I'm the kind of person that they, they hire to come in and sweep the floors, and then like 18 months later, I'm running the place for minimum wage, you know. And, uh, and, I, and life was hard. I was angry, um, mean-spirited, bitter. I'm not a, I was not a good mother. Um, by nature, I am not nurturing. Okay, I'm linear in my thinking. Um, if you and I'm uncomfortable with people. I don't like to be touched. I don't like people to stand too close to me. I don't. Um, and you know, if you want to talk about football or car racing, I'm your girl. If you want to get in touch with your inner child and your inner feelings, I need you to sit way, way, way over there. You know, because I'm like volatile. That, I mean, I, I, when I, particularly when I first came into OA. Now, uh, for for those of us who've always been obese, and th- there's a come to point for there's some people I know now more like me, who at one point you feel that this is God's gift to you. Okay, that's the God I had when I walked in here. God wanted me to be fat and uh, and okay, fine. You know, I'm trying to put food on the table and raise this child who I didn't want. I have to tell you that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a mother. I'm not a mother. Um, and uh, and I'm not into self-care. I'm not a woman who's into self-care. I comb my hair once a day whether I need to or not. You know, I bathe, I brush my teeth three times a day, you know, and then, that, then I pretty much crash through life, you know, and it is what it is. And so by the time I was 42 years old, I was living in low-income housing, I work in, you know, I had worked for 17 years every day, a minimum of 12 hours, and I usually worked 18 to 19 hours a day. I have uh, insomnia, you know, so as long as I'm up, I might as well find a job, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, and my daughter was 16, 
Uh, we had a horrible, horrible relationship. I tortured my daughter mentally and, and, um, because I, I just wanted to keep her safe. And she ran with gangs, mainly because it was easier to get along with than get along with me. You know, and, and our, our life was a mess. And I kind of segued into, into uh, 12-step programs because I wanted some free therapy. A friend had said to me, gee, Michelle's 16 years old, you know, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to keep her alive till she's 18 and I'm throwing her out of the fucking house myself. And I'm done with this. I am so done. And this gentleman said to me, you know what, Evelyn, he says, it seems to me the only thing that's been keeping you alive in any way, shape, or form is, is your daughter. And he says, what are you going to do after that? Well, I didn't know that I had a choice. Before I came into program, I didn't know I had a choice about the kind of life I led or the quality of life I could have. I got what God visited on me. This is how I felt. Okay. So I started to look around at different things. And for some reason, that resonated with me because I knew, I knew that God was going to make me live this life till I was 109 years old. And then when I died, I would still be working two full-time jobs and a part-time job. And I would die the day before payday and the hour before lunch. <laughs> right? Right? Anybody been that poor that you go, oh, I know God's going to kill me the day I've already worked my two weeks and I'm not going to get my money. I mean, I know that, you know. And uh, so, I mean, that's what I was and what I was came with. I happen to also be a grazer. I like to eat all day long and I like to have three really good meals to sustain me to the next snack. <laughs> you know, I like heavy, dense food. Okay? And, uh, and, yes. I don't like green food. I don't like yellow food. I don't like orange food. I'm not a rabbit. <laughs> and I have learned to get over that. Okay? So, anyway, I came in because I thought, gee, I'm going to live forever and I want to be, if my, this is my life and I can't figure out how to get it out of it. I couldn't break free of it or anything. At least I want to be happy. So, I was familiar with 12-step programs because they're free. Alright? So, I came into OA and I wanted several things. I wanted to be happy. I wanted to have a smile on my face. I wanted to be able to sleep through the night without 72 people waking me up and discussing my day with me and then telling me what I was going to do the next day. And as long as we're up, why don't we paint the house or get another job? You know, I wanted to, um, I wanted to be comfortable with people. Okay. And I did not care if I lost 100 pounds. Now, I ended up in OA because I only had four hours free on a, on a Sunday afternoon, and, and that was it. Okay. So, I did not do well in OA because I did not care if I lost 100 pounds. To me, when I came into program, losing 100 pounds was like number eight on my hip parade. You know, I had accepted the fact that God wanted me fat. You know, I, I, just, I just wanted, I wanted, I know now the word that I wanted was some kind of contentment, but I didn't know that was the word at the time. So I, and I, I started to gain weight in a way with the first time in 30 years. And I struggled and struggled and struggled. And I have to tell you, I got, I got well out of pure spite. Because I had a person in the program, an icon in the program today in Los Angeles. And I mean, she's, and she's a wonderful woman. We're very close friends now. But I turned to her and I questioned her. And I said, I don't care if I don't lose 100 pounds. I just want to be happy. Well, nobody knew what to do with that. Okay? And she looked at me and she says, you're never going to make it in this, in this program, honey. Why, why are you wasting our time? And I went, 
Now, my primary motivations in life are fear, spite, anger, and if I get tired. And if I get into one of these things, you know, you get me angry enough, you get me fearful enough, you get me spiteful enough, and if I'm a little tired, which I'm always tired, uh, I can pick up and move Disneyland one foot overnight. I mean, I don't care. I don't care. So out of pure spite, I walked away. And I'm going, who? I never liked you. And you're not happy. You don't have a smile on your face, so why would I want anything that you have? And I turned to some people, and they said, no, she's right. You know, and these people were interesting people, too. And I'm thinking, I never liked them. I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them. I'm going to get well in this program. Screw them. And you know what? I did. I did. I was very lucky. When I first got into the program, there were several people who... um, took an interest in me. It was 1987. They had torn up Dignity of Choice and, you know, and people were saying, oh, I'm sorry, we can't tell you about your, you know, your, um, your food plan. You know, we're, you should have one, but I can't tell you anything about it. And um, you pray to God, which A, I did not do because I knew what his story was, and go see your doctor. Well, I couldn't afford that. You know, so I had several people who were not, who, who were not ever highly successful in this program. They were heavily medicated people who had had thousands of hours of therapy who took to me, mainly because I was probably more like them than anybody else, and shared with me all the stuff that they knew that they could not practice. I'm so grateful for them. So grateful. The winners were uncomfortable around me. So I learned from the losers. And I got... You know, from the people that, that, you know, that don't make it in this program, they took me under their wing and they raised me up until I became a more acceptable person to the normal population. I'm so grateful for that. So I also started with three, three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar. I turned to the guy. How do you do that? Guy next to me says, you get, no second helping. That was another thing. No second helping by mine. And the guy, I said, how do you do that? The guy says, you get a bigger plate. I go, okay. I go across to the thrifty drugstore, I get a bigger plate. I did that. I did that. And if you're if you're 100 pounds overweight and you do heavy work, I did all blue-collar work, always. And I rode a bicycle six miles one way, eight miles the other, da-da-da-da-da. You stop eating between meals, you, you know, even you'll start to lose weight, okay? And I got a bigger plate. And then from there, I also graduated into getting a smaller plate. You know, I didn't know. I could do, Nobody ever offered suggestions to me when I grew up in this program. I got directions. If I complained about anything, the people I knew said, you know, I go, oh, Christ, i got to eat a salad. And I thought I had some guy come home to me and says, Evelyn, it's 15 minutes out of your life. Get over it. <laughs> oh, okay. Duh. And even now, I have, to, I have to eat a salad every day. I eat the salad, and I sit down, I look at the food, and I go, it's 15 minutes out of your life. Get over it. Oh, okay. That was always told to me when I would complain about something, you know, about someone or something, and I was unwilling to do anything about it. You know, it was, it was, it's not what they did to you. It's not what you did yesterday. What are you going to do about it now? Stop complaining. That's what I was told. And, it, and, and I, that has worked for me in many ways. You know, I, if, if I'm not going to, if, if I'm having a problem and I'm not going to take action about it, then I can't complain about it at all. Because that's the action that I took. I'm not. I'm willing to live with this pro, this problem as long as it takes. 
you know, and then, then I can start complaining about it if I take action. You know, so those are the kinds of things that I learned. Also, as the years go by, after the first year, I lost 115 pounds, like a year and a half or whatever. But then I found out that I couldn't keep that weight off by continuing to eat the way that I was eating. And I had to, and I had somebody who had had, you know, a 600-pound man who had hundreds of hours of therapy and nutritionist come and, and walk across a crowded room and say, Evelyn, you need to eat better. And I had the sense to listen to him, you know, and I started to eat green food. You know, I started to cut back on, you know, I'm still, it was still eating 10 ounce steaks, you know, and, you know, into smaller amounts of food, okay. And I have found that as my circumstances have changed, I have had to modify my program. The first five years in program, I'm still working three, you know, three jobs. I'm still riding the bicycle. I'm doing heavy lifting and everything, you know, not sitting in an office going like this, okay. This program sent me back to school. I was... It was not my idea. I had somebody say to me, you need to go back to school. And it starts Friday. Oh, okay. And I went and I, you know, got my GED. I, I got a certificate program. And I mean, okay. The same thing with anything else. And I found out when I go to school, I'm not walking around doing any heavy lifting on somebody else's nickel. And I'm sitting there going like this or reading a book or something. And I wasn't getting enough exercise to monitor the amount of you know, calories. It's still calories in, calories out. I hate that. I keep waiting. Even 23 years later, I'm going, no, that can't be right. <laughs> and I had to modify and cut back and everything. You know, okay, men, now at this point, you have to go like this. Men, cover your ears because I'm going to talk about menopause real quick here. Okay. If you're a woman and you go through menopause, I went in and, the, the, I went in and by this time I have medical insurance and everything that normal people have. And the doctor said to me, oh, you know, I think you're going through menopause. So he says, you'll probably gain between 50, 75 pounds, but we'll deal with that later. And I have to tell you, I think that women gain weight during menopause is because we don't get enough rest. You know, I mean, it's exhausting. I, I was, uh, I'm one of those that had horrible, horrible hot flashes for more years than I care to remember. But, I mean, I was exhausted all the time. I mean, I, it was all I could do to just drag myself from one place to the other. And, uh, and I thought, I can't, I can't do that. I can remember saying that to this guy who was like 29 years old and looked like he came out of a GQ magazine, you know. And he goes, he goes, well, we'll just deal with that later. And I'm going, no. Okay. So I had to look at that, you know. And I gained 12 pounds. Okay. I have gained and lost weight in program. I have gained, uh, the most I ever gained was 25 pounds when I first went to school because it took me a while to cut back on my food and figure out an exercise on somebody else's dime and not get paid for it. You know, then when I went to, and, and every, so, and then I went through menopause, I gained some weight and I had, I had to, I had to be flexible enough and that's how I was trained when I first came in was if it's not working for you, it's your responsibility to, to get the information and, and admit that it's not working for you. Change it, okay? I do. I have found out that certain foods poison my thinking and my emotions, and then I do not know what's going on, okay? I'm the type of person that never knows what's going on. I sit in an office, and there's this, the women. Everybody comes through, and they go, good morning. Good morning. How are you? And I'm sitting there going, what the hell does she mean about that? <laughs> what does that mean? Are they going to let me go? Is, you know, is it raining outside? What does she mean by I was I was 19 years in program until one morning it dawned to me that good morning, all that means is good morning. I mean, that's, 
that's what my mind does. And I found out that if I put too much sugar, too much grease, too much salt, too much white flour, large quantities of food into this body, what my, I walk through a whole different day than you do. You know, I do not understand what's going on. I become very react emotionally to problems that are not there. Okay? And I, mean, I create problems, and I cannot do that anymore. I can't do that to myself anymore. I still eat sugar, and I still eat white flour, but I, I weigh and measure it. Okay? I don't eat it every day. I've done that for years. Um, I have given it up on for extended periods of time and then quit doing that, you know. But I have found that food chemically changes me in all aspects of my life, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, you know. And so I have to be careful about that. I have to be careful what I do. And I'm, so I'm really concerned about what I put into my body. The, the cleanest abstinence I have is when something horrible happens, you know, like a, an earthquake a death in the family, uh, loss of a job, a loss of a child. Uh, and, I, and, and I think to myself, you know what? You have got to be helpful and of service to all of these people. You need to have your clear thinking cap on. You cannot afford to poison yourself and not be as responsive or overly responsive. I tend to be overly responsive to people's problems. And you need to be careful what you put in your mouth. And I do. I call somebody and I tell them what I'm going to do. And I let them know. And I say, I'm going to call you every day. Okay? Until this is over. I have found that to be very beneficial. Very beneficial. Um, I believe, and in all of this time, I've gone back to school. I was sent to date by this program. I'd been married, you know, briefly, and I thought, and I'm a solitary person, you know, and I have been successfully married for 17 years in this program. Who would have known it would have worked for me? And um, I, I have an excellent relationship with my daughter because of this program. Did it get worse in program? You betcha it did, because I changed from the woman that she knew to another woman, a kind and loving person, which completely freaked her out. And we, after all these years, we're very, very close friends. She moves next, she's moved next door to me. My daughter calls me every day. She comes and sees me every day. The bad part is she calls me every day. And she comes and sees me every day. You know, and I just, we just talked about this. Let's talk about it again. You know. uh, my daughter and her friends are going to Disneyland. They're in their 40s and this weekend. And I'm up here and everybody's calling me on the phone going, well, can't you come home early? And, you know, you know, who would have thought that? I have friends in and out of the program. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Uh, I've gone back to school. I, be, I became highly trained in a profession that, I'm, uh, that suits me. And, uh, I, I, and I've learned to work in a professional environment with women who read Cosmo mag magazine. You know, I don't know. You know. And... I've learned to be at home and comfortable with people, and they have become more comfortable with me. I've also had the experience in the big book where Dr. Stilkworth, he talks about walking down the hallway, and he meets this man who's a very charming gentleman, and then he realizes it's one of his ex-patients. 
I have had that experience in this program. For someone who saw me in my first couple years and didn't see me for 10 years. And my pictures are very distinctive when you see them. And, and he was standing there and he said, are you sure these are your pictures? And I'm going. I'm, I'm, of course, my smart mouth, I want to say, uh, no, I borrowed them because they were better pictures than somebody else. And he goes, I know this lady, and I didn't think she'd ever make it in this program. And look at how you've changed. Remember when you used to do this, and look at how you do this. And, and I mean, I have had that opportunity. And then he said to me, look at how gracious you've become. I wasn't sure what that meant, but I was going for it. Because you know. I always think of Kanahana as being gracious. You know, going, hey, I could do that. And so now... My goal is to age gracefully in this program, you know, because things change as you get older. Maybe your food won't work for you, and you need to look at that. But there's no excuse for me, and actually I say this to almost everybody, there's no excuse not to get well in this program. You know what? If you don't believe in God, get over it. Get well anyway. If you don't believe this program works, you don't like the people, get well anyway. I did. You know? If you, if you know. Take care of yourself. I would not go outside and drive without my glasses. I'd be a danger to, my, to you. I'd be a danger to myself. I would not get up and, and go through my day now without this program. I'd be a danger to you, and I'd be a danger to myself. You know? And, and you can get a quality of life. I'm happy now. I get complimented on my smile from strangers. I have men say, you have the cutest smile. And I go, thank you. Because that's what I wanted. I sleep through the night now better. Uh, the 72 people that used to live in my head have pretty much um, gone on retreat somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, and I'm happy. And I'm content. And life still happens. And I have a way to deal with those problems. Because of this program. Because of you. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. Somebody's going to say something here through this, the next couple of days that three day, years from now I'm going to say, boy, I've got this problem now. And I, saw, I heard somebody talk about it, and that'll help me out. You know? We're all in this together. We're so lucky that we have this 12-step program. And just keep coming back. I'm, I'm so grateful for each and every one of you, and I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. The speakers will now draw questions from the Ask It basket for the remainder of the meeting. Okay, we're just going to read these blindly. When you notice or do notice food cravings coming on strong, how do you handle it? Um. I like the slogan, think it through. Um, sometimes I will be in line. Well, for me, there's the foods that I can't eat if abstinent, fissia, I call it. Um, I see it if I walk into a Starbucks, for instance, and I see people, I see all these things on the counter. It's fissia, I can't eat it. But I, I sometimes let it roll through my head. Well, what if I ate one? And that's really helpful because then I think, well, I'd have to eat another one and another one. And then I'd have to make up for 12 years and I have to go over to the burrito place, pizza place, the ice cream store, and I just think it through and I think, 
why bother? You know, like one is not enough, a thousand is not enough. Um, so let's back away slowly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was I was trained to if I if I could to just take a breath, you know, just take a breath and think, you know, turn around and walk away and try and come back, uh, and and uh, and. Sometimes I want to, you know what, right now, too, I'd like to talk about when, when you react to a craving and you don't realize you did that. Okay? I, I particularly in my first couple of years, you know, all of a sudden I go, what am I eating? You know, particularly if I'm talking or I'm not paying attention or, or I'm distracted by trying to solve somebody else's problem. And what I learned is when you make a mistake, stop right there. Stop in the middle of the food. Stop. Put your fork down, turn around and walk away. Get, stop. The best way to stop compulsive overeating is to stop compulsive overeating. And every time you, and particularly when you start, or at least for people like me, when I started to do this, sometimes I wasn't paying attention. I mean, you just don't pay, you're not thinking, or you're off in la-la land or something. But when you make a mistake, stop right there. Don't wait till Monday, don't wait till the day after Christmas, but you stop in the middle of, right there. Stop. As soon as you're aware of that, and that awareness will get closer and closer together. But that's one thing that I learned early. I've dropped 90 pounds, then another time 145 pounds. Now I've regained over 100 of the 139 pounds I've dropped till January. I feel very hopeless. That last 100 pounds came back in three months. I feel like I've run out of chances. Any thoughts for me? I don't have this experience, but the first thing that I would like to know is did you leave the program? Okay? You have to keep coming back. I have to tell you that I found maintenance harder than, than losing the weight, and particularly after after all the cheering stops. Okay? I'm, I'm serious. After all the cheering stops. And then if you've been in program long enough and people, you know, like they'll say, oh, Evelyn, you, you've only had a couple pounds to lose. Well, no. No. You know, but I, I think that you need to to get something. I would, I would, uh, I encourage you from my girlfriend has had this experience and I'm very close to her and to, but she, and to keep coming back and to, then you have to develop a program that you're willing to do, a food plan that you're willing to do for the rest of your life. You know, and, and you have to work with somebody to do that. And I know that my girlfriend had this experience three times and the last time she did it differently and, and she's been more successful. Yeah, and I would just add that um, I had no faith, whatever, that I could stay abstinent and um, and if I can do it then you can do it whoever you are I mean it's just that simple it takes working the program but um, there's hope for each one of us in the program whether we have a story of relapse or not how do you deal with resentment not really well <laughs> okay this is this is what was taught to me and I mentioned it earlier but we all have our resentments. Some of them I'm still carrying around. You know, I'm 65 years old, you know. And and what I was taught is, is it doesn't matter what they did to you, is what are you going to do about it now? Move on. That was constantly drummed into me the first two years in program by by, by one gentleman and who has died in the program. I'll be forever grateful for that. You know, it, it doesn't it, – at one point you can get all caught up in the resentment and, and, and particularly if it, has, you, uh, if it has to do with family or this or that, you know, and – all it does is create more problems. And it's, you just, it doesn't matter. It's what, 
And I learned to live my day, my life from this day forward. Every day, from this day forward. What I did yesterday, what I said yesterday, what they did to me, or, yes, or a year ago, move. what are you going to do about it now? That has saved me and has healed a lot of relationships that I have chosen to take action on. I always like the saying, uh, having a resentment is like me taking the poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> and um, I have actually, I've been sharing lately, uh, my life is so good and so, on so many levels when I have one problem that has to do with, um, I own a piece of property with an active addict and it, uh, it, it, it involves a lot of drama. And I get him in my head and I get this resentment going and it makes me angry that I have this my whole life is so good, but I, I tend to focus on that one resentment, that one terrible thing. And, um, and so I just I try to use the slogans. My sponsor tells me, say the serenity prayer and say let go and let God and this too shall pass. Just say that, the slogans over and over until the resentment, the, the loud resentment subsides. Um, it doesn't work. <laughs> In one word, preferably, describe what your life is like now compared to what it was like before and give us one word to describe what it was like before. Um, well, before it was miserable and now it's joyful. my <laughs> I would have to do it in, in color. Is it's everything was, was, no, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it this way. Everything was always really, really hot, and now it's soothing. Okay. If, if you have gained weight after losing your weight, how have you handled it? I have gained weight in this program. I was really lucky uh, early on when, you know, when I, I was, had just lost my weight and I had a gentleman come to me and say, your food plan isn't always going to work for you, so you need to think about that. And I'm thinking, what does he know? I don't know anything. I know everything. I just lost 115 pounds. And, and I like this food. But you know what? And he, and he had the sense enough to say to me, your food plan isn't always going to work for you because it's, it, it's not going to meet your needs if you slow down. And within several years, my situation had changed. I wasn't getting as much exercise because I had a, a day job and, I mean, a, an office job and stuff like that. And I remembered that and I had to admit that, okay, I need to change it. I, and, and I kind of did it two ways. I, I ate smaller portions of things until I was willing to give them up completely or I would continue eating smaller portions or I would eat more nutritiously. You know, and that's when I really started eating a lot of vegetables. My volume became vegetables as opposed to other kinds of food that was perfectly acceptable before that, you know. But that's how I, and I've changed when my circumstances have changed. Um, yeah, I, I experienced, uh, I started running in, in, uh, when I was abstinent and so, and marathon running. So I would sometimes run, you know, 18 miles on the weekend. The marathon is 26.2 miles. I mean, I had to add food. Yay! Um, <laughs> so I ended up adding um, fruit before I would run, and I had to have a certain kind of um, sugar-free 
bar that I could eat while I was running. Um, and, you know, there was a time when I, my weight went way down and people were starting to say, you don't look so good. You okay? You okay? And it's like, so I had to add some food in. And then I, it, all, it all balanced out. My weight was great. I got great reports from the doctor. And then um, I got a motorcycle wreck. And then after that, um, that slowed me down enough to realize that my knees are really not runner's knees. And so I stopped running. And then I started to notice that the weight was going the other direction. And to thine own self be true, I was like, oh, crap, i got to give up that stuff I added. And, um, and so I, you know, I just had to give it up. That was, it was very sad. I had to grieve about it, you know, but I had to give up the extra fruit. And, um, and also, I feel like as I age, um, I just need less food. And, you know, I'm just not as active. And so just recently, I started weighing and measuring my protein and my vegetables. Um, you know, there was a time when I thought, you know, a 22-ounce steak was fine, you know, but now it's six ounces of protein, max. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's like I just, like you were saying, calories in, calories out. It's like I, I go to the doctor, I'm either at, an, at a, a healthy weight or I'm not. I'm either um, maintaining my weight or I'm going in, a, in one direction or the other, and that's not good. So um, it's just getting real about my food plan. How about, talk about your spirituality, please. Oh, my spirituality. Okay. All right, you knew the God that I had when I came in. Okay. The deal that I made when I got a sponsor, she said, you need to, you do, to pray, you need to do this, you need to, and I go, and I don't pray. I, no. She said, she says, what can you do? I said, okay, I'll make one, I'll do one prayer a day. That's it. And, and I said, you know, God's too busy for me. You know, he's got to keep the, flowers growing and the birds in the air and you know he's a very busy man so she said just pray and that's the deal that I made so I prayed whether I believed it or not and I picked the serenity prayer because it also reinforces the program to me the serenity prayer is the 12 steps of the program in three sentences you know and what's going on what can I do about it what can I not do about it and uh, I did that years went by you know and and I'm real busy I, don't, I, I'm not, I can't meditate. I mean, I just don't sit. And uh, as the years have gone by, our relationship, God has become more comfortable with me. And he's worked himself into his life, into my life, in a way that works for me. And on occasion, I have felt the closeness of somebody, something more powerful than myself. Um, do I... I still pray once a day superstitiously because I, I had a good day yesterday. I said one prayer, you know, so I do it today, you know, and and uh, and I'm okay with that. And as the years have gone by, it, we're working it out. Yeah, I, I would say my spirituality is in the toilet. <laughs> um, I was raised Catholic and we were sent to church um, and uh, my dad would often take us to, my mother would admit and insist that we go to church but not come to church with us. And my dad would take us to his favorite bar and we would sit and he would drink and we would play pinball and then we'd go home and be like, church was great. <laughs> so um, I was a little sour on God when I came into the program even after years of working the 12 steps. But I just find um, spirituality in these rooms. That's where, I mean, I could not stop eating compulsively until I came to OA. So you people are my spirituality um, you know, there's a miracle that happened that I can't explain, 
in OA, and you could call it God or whatever. And for a long time, I've just really had to lean on the fact that, you know, as as people in OA, we are um, in some the, the group as a whole can be a higher power for me. And um, I also uh, I when I see someone who has what I want, I ask them how they got it. I got a sponsor once who had been married for a long time, met their partner in the program, and had a really healthy and happy relationship. So I, she was my sponsor for a while, and what do you know, I got that. Um, I asked her how she did it, I did what she did. And so now I have a sponsor who is very spiritual, very um, focused on the spiritual part of the program, and I meet with him, and we read all this spiritual stuff, and talk about all this spiritual stuff, and um, I feel really creepy about it a lot of times, but I'm just going to do it, because I do what is... You know, suggested, and I just feel like maybe one day I'll be, I'll be all spiritual. <laughs> Please talk about your step work in program. This is you. <laughs> um, well, I feel I heard someone say a long time ago, "Do the Bill and the Bob," and what that meant was that uh, in AA, Bill and Bob got together and they talked about oh my God, this is so terrible, but this is what I did and stayed sober. And so that's what I do with my sponsees. I don't feel like there's any hierarchy about uh, abstinence time or whatever. What I do is I get together with my sponsee and we read out of either the the OA 12 and 12 or the AA 12 and 12, and we just read a step, we talk about it, we agree on a writing assignment that either I've already done and helped me in some way or we both do it and... um, and that's how I do it. I have one sponsee who calls me regularly, and we only talk by phone. I really, the, the sponsorship and the step work that I like the most, really, is to get together with another compulsive overeater and read this literature that has been, you know, put through the sifter of thousands of recovered compulsive overeaters and just follow the directions. Um, I, when I go through my step book, I uh, use a highlighter to highlight every action. So it says, like, you know, we did this. Well, I highlight that, and I'm like, am I doing that? So, um, but I actually also, I have been working steps 1 through 12. I just keep repeating them, and I've worked them in AA twice, um, in OA twice, and now I'm working them in Al-Anon. I just keep going around um, 1 through 12, 1 through 12. I came to step work and sponsors late in the program because I couldn't find anybody who would work with me. And um, I, so I, 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 my first set of steps I took was uh, one of those uh, three-day events, you know, where you go in and, and somebody speaks and then, then you, you work right through the steps that day and then you give it away the next day, you know. And, and that, I have to tell you, I just did it because I thought I should do something, you know. And since then, uh, but I also met regularly with people and we would talk. I, I had this group of gentlemen who took me in for the first four years and, and they would talk, and they would talk about the things they couldn't do around each step, even though we di- we didn't like do anything formal. And I and I and I would talk about the things I could do, you know. And they would say, "Oh, well, somebody said that that maybe we should do this. You know, I should do this, but I'm unable to do that." And I go, "Gee, if it's okay with you, I'll do that." You know. So I took the benefit of of their experiences. Um, even in their experience and failure, and 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 segued after that, and now I, uh, 
And I have to tell you, if you don't pick up the tools when you first come into this program or pick them up as soon as you can, because picking them up later are really, is really tough, I have found. And it's just so much easier to do away if you use all the tools. So once I figured that out, then I use all the tools and I do find people to help me. And I do, I do think that, that you can always better your best. Just because you've done something doesn't mean, you know, a practice doesn't make perfect, it makes better. And you can always better your best. So I try, kind of think of this, if we're peeling the onion back to get, you know, who we are, then I'm, I'm putting on other layers so that I can be a more improved person. And I think that, that doing the step work is part of that in order to grow on all three levels of our personality. Do you have a recommended period of abstinence or time at goal weight before starting sexual relationships? like Grisha, as soon as I started losing weight, boy, I mean, I was like right up there, you know, I mean, <laughs> I didn't get 90 men in 90 days, but boy, I didn't die, I almost died trying. Um, I, I think that, or the way it worked for me was somebody, I worked with somebody who also had a very, a very good relationship. And they mentored me in, in my dating career. And, uh, and, I, and I was encouraged to go out and, and learn more. And I was encouraged, though, not to have sex right away. I mean, I mean I, 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 when I stopped eating, boy, I mean, I'm like right up there in the zone. And um, until, because it's a gift to give to someone, you know. And so... I always had this as a backup, this person that we, we would talk about things, you know, and, and what you want to do and what, you know, what you liked, what you didn't like and that kind of thing. So I always had like a, I had my own sponsor for my relationships and, and I learned from that. You know, they, they were very healthy around people and relationships and, and I had the sense enough to take their advice. Yeah, I think I always heard, you know, you can do whatever you want in sobriety or in abstinence as long as you stay Absolutely. So, um, you know, I had a similar experience where I, it was terrifying for me to become sexual. I was, you know, I was gay. I was ashamed of that. I was morbidly obese. I had, um, you know, stretch marks and loose skin and all these things from being obese all my life. And, um, you know, for most of my life prior to program, I would have sex with anybody who was willing to have sex with me. And, there, you know, and... Um, I, I lived in Washington, D.C. through the AIDS crisis, and I remember I, and one of the things I'm grateful for is that when I was a 300-pound, chain-smoking, drunk, sweaty, loudmouth, obnoxious person, a lot of people didn't want to sleep with me. So um, otherwise, I would have probably not be alive today because I would have been having unprotected sex like a maniac. But um, facing all of that in sobriety and abstinence, I mean, the way I did it was um, if I was really attracted to someone, I worked with my sponsor. Thank you. I uh, worked with my sponsor. I wrote about it, my fears around it, um, my hopes around it, my expectations around it, and I went into it all consciously and with the lights on. And, um, and it was scary, but um, and I remember once I was dating someone for a longer period of time, and my sponsor said, "You just need to tell this person that you how you feel." And so I stood in front of this person. I said, "I feel very." Um, ugly and unattractive and blah, 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 blah. Woe with me, pity, pity, pity. And he said, I love your body. And that was, you know, just being honest about it. 
same present? I have a family of nine with seven kids. All, seven kids always eat what is in front of you. Not to be fussy now, what to do. Wait, I'm not sure I get this. I have family of nine with seven kids. Always say eat what is in, oh, always say eat what is in front of you. Not to be fussy now, what to do. I say they saw food, and I say no, thank you. So I guess, you know, how do you deal with eating with your family and your kids um, when you're eating absent food and there's other food? Well, I uh, had this problem when, uh, particularly when I worked in, I worked in a situation where we, everybody, in a job where we cooked, everybody had to cook a meal for that lunch. You know, it was like firemen do type of thing. Okay. When I changed... And I did not eat all the food that was there, and I, I brought my own food, you know, because you, you, the same person makes the same type of thing. And when I changed, somebody said to me, well, what are we going to eat? And I said, you know what, it's not going to kill you to eat salad for, you know. You know. And, and what we ended up doing, that situation lasts like a year and a half. And, you know, and I made, I had protein, I had salad, and I, you know, a salad, I had protein and some carbs and stuff like that. And uh, and I brought it proportioned on the plate. And sooner or later, after several weeks, everybody started kind of eating like that, you know. And most people are in the workplace are obese anyway, you know. And so they, it, it was my opportunity to change things that way. And and it might be in your family if you're doing the cooking and they're not allowed to be fussy about what they eat, it, it would probably improve their eating habits too. Because I found that, that all of our eating habits improved in this work situation. Um, I live with my partner and he's a normie and um, he makes these fabulous stir fry vegetable pasta rice concoctions and fresh bread and he goes to the farmer's market and does all this stuff. I make my own meal separately which is just vegetables and protein. We eat together. I often, if I'm coming home from school late at night and I'm starving, I'll call him and I'll be like, start cooking your fabulous meal now because mine takes five minutes and 50 minutes in the, in the microwave. So, um, you know, I just, we have, sep- we eat together, but we have separate, we have separate food. And that's my choice. You know, he's offered many times to cook fancy stuff without, you know, according to my food plan, I'm just like, just do your fancy stuff. I'll fend for myself. It is now time to close. Let's thank our speakers and all of them. Please stand and join hands as we close with the 08 Promise.